Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor... You can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey, everyone. If you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to inquiries of our reality, big dumb inquiries, and bizarre encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed, to chat rooms, to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media or feel free to email me at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increaseofourrealitypodcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you. And I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 63rd episode of Inquiries of Our Reality 
Today with me, I have Eric Salaji from Uncomfortable Podcast. He's the host and producer and all-around interesting guy. So uh, without further ado, how's it going today, man? Shane, thanks for having me on your show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks Doing for well. taking the time to uh, come on the show, man. That's awesome. It's uh, I'm glad you reached out. It sounded like a, a fun opportunity, so uh, happy to be here. So I guess uh, for anybody that may not be aware of your podcast and stuff, what exactly do you do over there? What's your show about? Um, what inspired you to do your show? Well, Uncomfortable is, uh, I like to say that it's, uh, it covers the, the entire umbrella of paranormal, um, cryptids, hauntings, ghosts, aliens, uh, extraterrestrials, lights in the sky, lights in the woods, um, sea monsters, you, you name it. Uh, I, I have no problem with covering any of it. Um, basically, it came out of a, a lifelong uh, fascination uh, is probably not the right word. Um, I was, I was full blown addicted to UFOs obsession by, by <laughs> the age of five. Um, by the age of five, I just, I could not get enough about UFOs, which I'm 57 years old. So if you do the math and you go back, back when I was five years old, we didn't have streaming services. We didn't have, um, you know, smartphones in our pockets that we could look up any kind of, uh, any information that you want on any of these topics. You know, this is what I was, what I was fascinated with were, you know, the, the one-off times that you'd be watching the news and see a report where they talked about a UFO and then made a joke or, you know, shows like in search of back in the mid seventies, um, finding books at the local, magazine store that, you know, like UFO magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So UFOs were, were pretty much my introduction to all the weird probably by seven, um, seven or eight. I had, I rented a book or, uh, checked out a book at our school library. And like the first half of the book was about Bigfoot. And the second half of the book was about the Loch Ness monster back then. Uh, the Bermuda Triangle was a big thing for me. Um, I just I can't get enough. I loved horror movies, uh, even though I'd watch them on Saturday afternoons or Friday nights, and then I'd be scared scared to death to go to bed, you know, and <laughs> having nightmares and uh, having to sleep with the door open and the light on. And uh, but yeah, it just uh, it just snowballed, and it's always been a part of my life. Um, I've had some weird experiences in my life that, you know, uh, when you ask, how did I, how did I come about wanting to do the show? I think it's a combination of, of all those things, you know, it's just, it's just been a part of a part of my interest and a part of my, my, my life really just never really, never really subsided. Um, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I turned, 25 and I just didn't pay any attention to it. And then I got back into it later in life. It's just always been there. So, and I think, I think with the experiences I've had in my life, they've been spread out far enough that it's helped continue that interest. You know, it's not like everything just happened at one point in my life. It's been a number of different things. So I like to say, you know, the, the topics on the show, we're uh, topics that reside on the fringe of reality. You know, most people's reality, these are fringe topics. 
for me, they're, they're very, uh, they're very real, very substantial. It's one of those things too, that it's like the people want to believe it is more, it's like a manifestation type thing, but it's like the more you in tune yourself with that reality, the more it seems to like show itself where if somebody doesn't believe in something their entire life and they see something in the sky, they might rationalize it to be something totally different. Um, but like when you're attuned to these experiences, you kind of see past the veil of like, oh, it's just a plane. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. And you start actually digging into it and realizing that like, oh, that doesn't have flashing lights. Why is it moving in this weird pattern where the average person would just kind of like look up, say it's a plane, and just go past it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> I was I was doing a, a interview last night with a gentleman from the UK. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the same exact things, you know, in 1996, he was walking down the streets of, uh, Colchester, I think was the town that he was living in at the time. And, you know, he was walking his way to his, his girlfriend's house and he looked up and he saw this, he saw this bizarre looking thing in the sky and he, you know, he saw it and it was not acting right. And it was not shaped right. And, uh, you know, he just, he saw it and basically nobody else was really walking around the street with him. And, uh, you know, so he got to his girlfriend's house and he went in and he was like, I didn't really, you know, I thought it was weird at the time, but when I got there, you know, we just picked up with our conversation and we went and did what we were going to do. And I never really thought about it again. He said, then, you know, several years later, he ended up seeing a documentary on, on one of the, the streaming channels. And he said there was literally a videotape from another portion of the town that he was in of that same experience, <laughs> that same, that same thing in the sky. And, you know, this was a UFO show and he was like, oh my God, how did I not, how did I not read anything into seeing just how weird that thing was? Why did I just let it, why did I let it go? Why was it, you know, why did I bypass it? So I think what you're saying is true. I think, you know, like my parents, my parents would get really annoyed with me when I was, you know, when nighttime would roll around and I was scared to death and, you know, every, every cryptid alien and uh, monster were out right outside my bedroom window, right. Waiting to reach in through the screen and grab me when the lights go out. Um, they never really, never really made an attempt to like quell quell my interest in it you know they just tell you they it's like, like dreams or fantasy you know trying to kind of get you to move past it you know yeah it, just you know, rationalizing they just, it they just never they just never put their foot down and said you know you got to stop reading ufo magazines because you know they don't they don't exist so that's almost a know, good I, thing though because then you wouldn't be where you are today if they did put their foot down you know yeah and i think that's the point i'm getting at is you know i think people grow up Obviously, everybody grows up differently with different influences or in, in their lives and stuff. And I think some people remain open. I think I think all of us as children are much more open to to the weird things. I mean, you look at kids, they have imaginary friends and, you know, they have this immense imagination and they're, you know, they're they're creating things in their mind and, you know, they're playing with things that aren't there and, you know. I've always wondered if they actually are there, like the imaginary friends, for example, like what if they're yeah. something that, again, we can't see, but it may not be like a spirit or anything dark like that, but just like <clears> that maybe they see past like a certain veil of reality until like a certain age 
So maybe that has to do with like the pineal gland. Like maybe it starts to get calcified by all of our foods, water, all that kind of shit. And then you stop seeing it after a certain point. But I don't know. There's just, well, there's a connection, you know, like they're closer I, to source too, you know, cause they're, yeah, they're young I kids. Don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but I'm going to piggyback on that. I'm going to say that when we are babies and we are born and we pass through our mother's womb in order for us to make it out to see the light of day, there is a unique um, adaptation to our skull. And you've got children. Anybody who has children, you're, you're aware of the soft spot at the, at the front top of the, the head, right? You know, mm-hmm. you got to be careful with them. You got to be, you know, it's protected. Um, and, and that's, that's created that way so that the, the child's head can form and, and mold to, you know, the, the path that it's coming out. Well, since that, that bony structure of the skull is not formed and that sits right in front of the pineal gland, I, I, I wonder, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an expert in anything, but it occurs to me when that, when that gland, when that brain is, is open and, and available to, to things that possibly are not once our skull forms, you know, I think maybe you're right. I think those aren't imaginary friends. I think maybe they are seeing things that are there that, and they're not scaring them, you know, they're, they're playing with them. And, uh, so I, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a far-fetched theory, but I mean, it's almost like taking like a cover off like an antenna or something too. Cause it's like the elderly, of course, start having those same experiences where they start seeing like people that aren't there, but they're not scared of them or anything like that either. And it could be again, because, uh, like, like a combination of the two, maybe it's because they're closer to source in the beginning of life and at the end of life. And maybe it's like in the beginning of life, um, like you were saying, it's like, it's almost like having like a cover off the antenna. So you're more in tune with everything. And then towards the end, it's like your, uh, your body's trying to keep going, but your mind's getting ready to shut down. So maybe at it's, starts overacting and starts kicking in that pineal gland again, where you can start Mm -hmm. experiencing what's on the other side, you know, like beyond the veil. Yeah. And I think, um, I think frequencies have a lot to do with, with our ability to see things that others don't. Um, you know, when you, when you start talking about, uh, the chakras and, and you, you get into reading about people who uh, go into meditative states and they, they raise their vibrations, you know, to, to achieve a higher, uh, a higher self. Um, you know, it sounds all kooky and it sounds, uh, um, what's, what's the word that they use for, for woo woo. No, I mean, yes, it is, but, um, <sighs> The words escaping me now, but, um, you know, they, I think frequency has a lot to do with, with our ability to, to see and experience these things. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think, I don't know if, I don't know if we ourselves are the ones that are creating the, uh, the change in frequency or if we are more susceptible to the change of frequency when we're in its presence. 
you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's stemming from us or if we're just sensitive, sensitive to it when we're in the presence of it. Um, you know, you talk about ley lines throughout the world. You talk about different magnetic uh, uh, anomalies that are through the world. You talk about the different, um, the different types of uh, magnetic um, polarities that when you get into certain fields of boulders and rocks and, you know, different things, the different characteristics, the large bodies of water and what those can do. Um, you know, I mean, this, this is a, this is an amazing world we live in and we don't know nearly what we think we do. You know, I, mean, I like science, to, uh, science is wonderful. Our, our, our brilliant minds are, are fantastic, but we don't know that much. I say, I like to imagine like the pineal gland is almost more of like an, like an antenna in a way where it's like those vibrations and those frequencies are always there, but it's a matter of like tuning it to the right frequency. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, you know, like yeah. you're not going to pick up on this TV channel if you're already tuned onto this TV channel. Right. Well, I had a, I had a conversation with a person that I'm, I'm trying desperately to get on this show and, um, they were in the presence of what they felt was, uh, a Sasquatch. In the Did they have that, family. uh, that feeling that it's like that, like an apex predator is in the area. Cause everybody kind of describes it as like, everything gets silent and you just have this like back instinct that kicks in that yeah. you don't even know you're aware of, but you all of a sudden know that you're not the main predator in that area. Right. And, uh, and the, it was accompanied with some sounds that were not, uh, not what should have been in that area. Um, these people were, um, very familiar and, uh, at the point where, uh, two of the individuals decided to basically bug out of the, the area when the one person turned back to look behind them at the, at the, the area that they thought the sounds were coming from, they experienced what can only be said as a, a change of uh, a visual change in their perspective. Um, what, what they knew that they were, where they knew they, they, that they were, I mean, they looked back, they knew they were in a forest. They knew they were in trees. Um, when they looked back, the, the scenery had changed not dramatically. It wasn't like they were looking at buildings now or anything, but it was, it did not look the same as it did while they were standing there. Hmm. And that struck me as being a, a really odd, a really odd thing because I have really heard of that before, but then you know, having talked to a lot of people who have had Bigfoot experiences, reading a lot of uh, witness accounts, a lot of people talk about this, uh, this cloaking effect. You know, you talk about the woo and uh, they talk about this cloaking effect and it's, they say that it makes it look like they're like the predator from the, the motion picture. Um, See, I've always kind of got into that theory and I've always wondered if it's like an ability that maybe they can turn, not even just like going invisible, but just like having the ability to change its colors like a chameleon to mm -hmm. a color that's not visible to humans. Right. But I'll take it a step further. You know, there's, there's some speculation that uh, due, to, due to many of the audio uh, vocalizations that have been caught, 
it's thought that in order to be able to produce the highs that they do and the lows that they do, and even getting down into the infrasound range, that they may have multiple vocal cords, multiple sets of vocal cords. Now, if they can do that, what if they can change the frequency and instead of them physically changing their appearance, what if their use of frequency can make you think you're seeing something that you're not or not seeing something that you are? I haven't heard this theory before. I dig it. Like it's definitely something that could make sense because yeah. even just like uh like using supersonic vibrations and things, you can like completely like scatter somebody's vision of like what they're Absolutely. looking at. Exactly what I'm getting at. <clears throat> even like with the the Havana syndrome. Um, you know, the use of uh, um, audio weaponry um, over there in Cuba on our, uh, I think it was our consulate or something that was over there. You know, you had a large number of people who were all suffering from uh, very similar, um, very similar symptoms after being hit with an infrasonic weapon. And it was basically being directed at them out of a, a van. And the van had been witnessed multiple times. And, you know, I, I keep going back to this story. It was in a documentary. I don't know what it was. I wish I did. But it was a couple of gentlemen who were involved in the music industry to some extent, whether they were producers or, you know, mixers in the, in the studio. And they actually took a bunch of their equipment and a large array of speakers. And they went to uh, Stonehenge because they wanted to know if there was anything to um, bouncing sound off of the, the large monolithic stones at Stonehenge, they wanted to see if that would create any odd stuff. So they set up all their equipment, they aimed their speakers at the, at the stones of Stonehenge, and then they started rifling through a bunch of different frequencies, everything from the high end, and as they got worked their way down into the low end, when they started getting to below the subhuman level of hearing which is infrasound the one gentleman started experiencing massive headaches visual distortions um shortness of breath um like uh, palpitations of his heart and sounds he was, like uh the bigfoot encounters and people get really close to him exactly and it got so bad that he, they had to abandon the uh the experiment because the other guy could not continue so you know those, you know, from the years of the years of my interest and, in, you know, wading through all the, uh, the documentaries and wading through all the YouTube videos and reading accounts and, and looking up historical accounts and all the different things, you know, I start creating these file folders in my brain. And when I start seeing things that are repeating, I start sticking them in the folder and it's like, yep, I heard that before. Yep. Heard that before. Yep. Nope. That's a new one. Um, doesn't sound plausible, but I'm going to stick it over here because if I run into it again, it's going to maybe take me, maybe, maybe take me uh, another look at it. So I'm almost wondering, you know, when people talk about portals and portals is a really, really hard thing for me to talk about, because when you say the word portal, you get this picture in your mind that there's this, this little light that starts in, in front of you out of nothing. And then it, you know, 
rose into this larger thing and there's swirling, swirling smoke and lights and, you know, this visual rip in our, in our, uh, in our dimension. And, you know, it just gets, it's so far out there, but I almost wonder if, you know, frequency plays a part in what we call portals. I'm glad that you mentioned that because my theory that I always kind of entertain is that maybe in these Bigfoot areas, there's like a thinning of the veil or maybe it's like there's two realities stacked on top of each other, theoretically. And when there's these thin veil areas, maybe you see into that and they also see back. So maybe that's where like these Bigfoots will appear and then disappear. And you off of what you're saying, if it's creating these like thinnings of the veil, instead of like calling it a portal, if you want to kind of give it a different title, um, maybe it wasn't so much that they like, there's a thinning in that area and that they accidentally step through it, but maybe they're creating that thinning in that area and they're able to step through it, which again, bouncing back to what you're saying about Stonehenge and stuff, maybe that's the whole idea is that people figured out a long time ago that there's certain areas maybe or certain ways you can set things up to be able to like thin that veil to be able to start seeing through it. And that could be partly where that guy's visual distortions were coming from is maybe it was starting to see two realities starting to stack on top of each other, you know? Yeah. You know, because I mean, when you start talking about, you know, the, the possibility of um, additional dimensions and, and stuff like that, you know, there's, there's two theories or the theories that they're stacked on top of each other. And we're just, you know, minuscule, uh, a minuscule amount of distance away from each one of these parallel universes. You know, I don't know if that makes a difference. So, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm completely open to talking about the woo. None of us are experts. None, <laughs> none of us know for sure. I think, you know, I, I take that back. Cause I, I think that there's probably some people that do know for sure. Um, but they I don't probably have to keep a, it a secret too, if they do know, I, cause maybe I, they, no yeah. with contact from something else you know yeah you know so you know i mean like i said my interest with ufos um it was always you know they were from another planet they were another solar system they were they were coming here over vast distances uh nowadays i don't know if that i don't know that that holds water with me anymore you know um maybe even if they're, they're using just, wormholes too i mean theoretically if they know where like a wormhole's at they could go from one end of the galaxy to the other end of the galaxy by just going through that wormhole. Yeah. Cause people are scared or, of it and don't know what's on the other side. Maybe they know what happens, you know, and they can just whoop, use it to travel or they're just on the other side of the veil. Yeah. Or yeah, they're on the other side of the veil. Yeah. Maybe they're in this place where we are on top of us. But again, we can't perceive it cause it's like stacked realities. You know, and I think the, the really, um, the really fun, the really neat part of, of doing the show that I do um, by not, not just pigeonholing myself into only talking about one type of subject matter. Um, I have started to see throughout the last six, seven, eight years of my life. Plus with doing the show, um, there are a lot of consistencies, a lot of threads that seem to run between all this different stuff. Um, especially so the supernatural I, and like aliens, there's a lot of links between those two. Yeah. So what am I getting at? Um, so, you know, when people go out and are trying to investigate Bigfoot, what are some of the common things that they, they talk about? Well, you see balls of light, 
you have strange frequencies that are being used. You hear wood knocks. You hear knocking, right? Mm-hmm. You hear wood knocks. When you start talking about paranormal investigations, what's something that comes up all the time in paranormal investigations? You hear Those knocks. knocks for sure. Yeah. You hear knocks. So during a conversation I was having with uh, the Archbishop Christina Rake from the uh, Old Catholic Church in Chicago um, just about a month ago, amazing woman. Highly recommend anybody that's interested in it. Uh, she wrote a book called God and the Paranormal. Um, it was extremely refreshing to talk to this woman because not only is she a devout Catholic archbishop, but she is also a, um, a sensitive. She's, a, she's, she's psychic in her abilities, and she investigates paranormal. Um, now when you put those things together, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because when I was part of the Catholic church, when I was growing up, you were not allowed to talk about those kind of things. <laughs> they discouraged that, you know, that was going against God. Um, well, when she talks about the Bible, the Bible is, um, is written as a way to minister to the dead. It encourages ministering to the dead. Um, Everything about it is about keeping in touch with those that have passed. So, you know, after having talked with her and, you know, which is so completely different from the way I grew up in a Catholic church um, in my younger years, you weren't allowed to talk about that kind of stuff. It was discouraged. You're not supposed to, you know, it's bad. You, you shouldn't do anything like that. But after having talked to her, you know, according to the, um, the old Catholic church, which is what she's an archbishop of, um, they embrace the paranormal. It is the, the Bible is rife with, uh, ministering to the dead. That's what the whole Bible is about. Keeping in contact with those that have passed on and honoring them and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing them again uh, when when this earthly life is done. You know, no matter what your religious beliefs are or what God you you profess to be your own. You know, I think at some point, I think we're all talking about the same Creator. Um, you know, there's just too many similarities throughout the religions of the world. They all have their own flood events, and they all have things that are very, very similar to, um, what we have. So I think, I think there's one creator, whether that's a old dude with a long white beard sitting in a clouded throne, uh, you know, or, you know, I, I even entertain the, the idea that God may be a, uh, an extraterrestrial. Um, I do entertain that idea too. And I was also going to say, I also entertain the idea of like, there's two things. Either if you follow the book of Enoch, that a lot of these religions could have been created by the like fallen angels that were trying to breed with humans and created like false religions or two, it's just a hundred different perspectives of the same exact events. And they just have different names for things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when, when we start talking about things like, you know, that transfer over from the paranormal, you know, um, I've, I've read several accounts. I've seen several pictures, many pictures of, uh, little, little balls of light, you know, people call them, people call them orbs or, you know, spirit balls or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, there's these manifestations of these little, little balls of light. I've seen one in a, in a graveyard, 
uh, dancing around the top of a monument. Uh, came out of nowhere. It was about the size of a golf ball. It was a bluish hue, but more of a white blue. And uh, it manifested for, man, just, you know, a second and a half, two seconds maybe. Um, it, it showed up and it did this zippity-doo little squiggle and, and boom, it was gone. Um, people see lights out in the woods all the time. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. plenty of accounts of people have had Bigfoot experiences and they report seeing these lights, you know? Uh, so, I mean, there's so many similarities and so many things. It, it just makes me think that when we're talking about this kind of stuff, I don't know that they're all necessarily related as in they all come from the same place, but I think the same way. And that's why I keep always going back to, you know, frequencies. I mean, our, our visual acuity is, is only set to be able to see in a certain spectrum. We can't see an infrared. We can't see an ultraviolet. You know, there's a, a number of different spectrums of light that we can't see. We have a very narrow field of view. And that's the same with our hearing as well. We can't hear high-pitched dog whistles you know we mm-hmm. can't hear uh, tones above a certain level we can't hear tones below a certain level but we can feel them we can feel the effects that they have on our body that's been proven so you know if if frequency and vibration are the key and i mean even think about how many people do vibrations for like healing of the body too because i mean it's yeah. it's used for that also yep yeah. I mean, you even look at, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't know what the religions are or, uh, or practices are, but, you know, people that do meditation and, you know, the, the chakras, uh, what is that, uh, in Buddhism? Yeah, it's part of it. Um, I feel like meditation kind of spans a lot across a lot of different views though, mm-hmm. but the main one that it probably stems from is like Buddhism, I'd say, or like Hinduism possibly too. Cause I think Hinduism's older Hinduism, than Buddhism. Maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they talk about raising your vibrational frequency and, uh, you know, using it to help self heal and, and ascend to a higher plane of consciousness. Maybe there's something to it, you know, who's, who's to say, I mean, this stuff is so fun to talk about because there are no, um, there are no absolutes when you start talking about this stuff, you know, and anybody that says they're an expert in any of this stuff, run away from them. There are no experts. There's people that have a lot of experiences and might be able to speak to um, their experience with having had had these types of things happen. But again, that doesn't make them an expert. It just means that they were they were aware of something that was going on and they were not afraid to stand up and say, you know, tell about it. So, yeah. you know, and that's what I wanted to do with the show. I wanted to provide a um, I wanted to provide a, a safe place. Uh, someplace where people go and not feel like they were going to be ambushed to not feel like they were going to be walked into a corner that they couldn't get out to not be exposed, uh, you know, to, to thousands of people that are going to listen and, and be made a fool of. Um, I think everybody for, you know, I've had, I've had a couple of, I've had a couple of shows, man, that um, man, I'll be honest with you kind of hard to swallow. You know, I had a, I had a guy on who had a Bigfoot experience. It started when he was in his, uh, um, uh, let's say around 10, 11 years old. 
Um, used to go to a campground with his parents. There was a, a small lake there, some wooded area around it. And he can remember as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid on vacation at this campground running around playing with the, uh, the monkeys in the, in the, uh, in the woods. Um, I've heard of a lot of experiences with people, um, as kids, like playing with baby Bigfoots, not even cause you know, kids aren't judging. Like they see a Bigfoot and they're not like, Oh God, it's a monster run. You know, they're seeing like a, a Bigfoot that would come up and possibly try to like hand them a toy. Cause I'm assuming that coming from the other side, they probably have yeah. the same childlike innocence. Yeah. So like, it's not, neither of them perceive each other as a threat. So I feel like these are very common stories. It's just a lot of people with these experiences just don't get out and talk about them and explain that they've had them happen, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, so you follow this guy's story and it, uh, he, he's somewhat of an artist. So he, he took, uh, an inordinate amount of time and, and drew countless pictures of, of the accounts that he said that he had throughout, throughout his life with these Sasquatch beans. Um, it got, it got pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, we got to the point where we were talking that um, the government was uh, was involved and, you know, um, showed up at his house and, and kept his parents uh, basically tied and bound while he was interrogated. And uh, it was it was a pretty bizarre story. It was really hard to uh, really hard to swallow. See, but, but I feel like almost too, if you were the government and somebody had stories like that. It's almost like an like a no holds bar that you could pretty much do anything you want to get that information out of people. And in doing so, you're just making the story more unbelievable for other people that aren't involved. So it's, it could be part intentional that, you know, they, they know they can do that at that point. Yeah. So. I guess the point that I'm getting at, um, you know, people have a, tor- a story to tell. They have a need to tell a story. All right. They need to tell their experience. <sighs> I believe a lot of what the guy said, but during the conversation, there were specific things that came up, not once, not twice, but, you know, three or four times, a very specific, um, I don't want to, I don't want to offend him. If he would possibly hear this, I doubt that he would. Um, we can just leave names out and then it's, you know, he, he won't, you know, feel attacked, I guess at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was some allegations of abuse. Um, you know, apparently the mom was not a very nice person and, you know, throughout, throughout the conversation. And then there was another neighbor uh, got brought into the story and apparently that neighbor had a dark room in their house and, and their family uh, took a lot of pictures and then come to find out there were pictures of some of the neighborhood kids that had been taken and were developed down there and they weren't the right kind of pictures. Um, so I don't put any of that past people knowing people nowadays either. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and this was, this was back in the seventies, still a lot of sick people. Uh, they just didn't seem to be as out there as they are now, but I guess the point that I'm getting at is I think there is some segment of the story that is very true. I think he did have some experiences, but then on top of what I just told you, I think there's some screen memories that have been produced to, to cover, to hide the, the, the pain or the uh, embarrassment of things that happened. Um, I feel like you hear that a lot with like UFO stories. Cause I've heard a good handful of people that have UFO stories and then they talk about abuse as a kid and it kind of like, 
it sounds like their mind trying to rationalize things, especially with like the probing when they get into that with like yeah. child abuse, you know? Yeah. Um, so when I do this show, I, I think, I think I'm providing a service. And even if, even if I, you know, like you and I had a conversation before we started recording and that's kind of a feeling out process. You're getting an idea of where my head is. You're, you're getting an idea of, okay, this is, this was a good call. I'm going to have this guy on the show. Or sometimes it's like, oh, oh boy, he did not represent himself the way he did in his email. And I don't think I want any part of this on my show because this guy's just a, a whack job, right? You know, yeah. he's, he's talking out of his head and anybody that listens to this is going to be like, yes, this guy is full of crap. Um, so when I say that people coming on a show and being able to tell their story is cathartic, um, I have those one-off shows that I think even though a portion of their story may have been manufactured willingly or unwillingly, there was still a need to have that story told. They yeah. still needed to get that out. And, and for whatever, whatever that, whatever that healing property of talking about that story was that did somebody that did somebody good to get it off their chest. You know, so as much as I, as much as I say, I, I don't want to say that, you know, I don't believe everybody or, you know, there's some, some people that have been on the show that I have questions about the story and I'm not going to, I'm not going to call anybody out. If, I mean, if they say something and it doesn't jibe, I'm not going to be like, Hey, wait a minute. Now you just said this, but now you're saying this, you know, I think as a podcaster, um, I think it's part of our responsibility is to, to bring quality content to, to people, to keep them engaged, to provide a, a good quality sound so that it's easy to listen to. And so that people can enjoy themselves and it's not a struggle. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a job to sit there and, and try try to listen to a poorly recorded podcast because there's nothing worse than coming on a show um, or coming across a show that sounds like the topic is going to be phenomenal. And then you start listening to it and the audio is just crap. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how good your, your content is. If you don't provide a good sound and make it an easy listening experience, people are going to turn you off. Um, I mean, even the opposite said too, if somebody has a really, really good sound quality, and they don't have that great of a story yet. People be more prone to listen to it, but at the same time, it's still like you're fighting to listen to it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of a, sometimes when those shows happen, I, I get a little, I get a little disappointed that it didn't go the way I thought it was, but then at the end of the day, I still think, I still think I did a good thing, you know, by, by letting that story out and, you know, leave it up to people who are listening to determine whether or not they want to believe it or not. Um, I think personally from the, uh, the interactions that I've had with my listeners, which have been many, I mean, I, I have really good relationships with, with people that listen to me on a regular basis. And, you know, it can be as simple as a, a messenger note saying, Hey man, heard the newest episode, thought it was great, doing a great job, keep them coming you know, something like that. Or sometimes I, I get, you know, a battery of questions. It's like, you know, Oh my God, tell me about this guest. You know, I, I need to know more. Can I find more out about him? Um, I, I, th I think that creates an engagement and, 
you know, I'm just going to be honest with the people that I'm, I'm, I'm producing the show for, and, and I'm trying to be ever mindful that the guest that's coming on has got a reason to tell what they're telling. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's a, it's a hundred percent truth. Who's to say? Because, so. I mean, even so, they could have it completely rationalized in their mind, too, where, like, you hear them telling the story and you know that they're telling the truth from their perspective. And like I said, even if it's, like, rationalizing something that happened to them in their past that's bad, it's therapeutic to still get the story out. And they still believe everything that they're saying. So, I mean, that that goes a long way, too, because you can judge a person when you're interviewing them on if they're intentionally lying or not. And that that makes the huge difference, too, as far as, like, hearing the story, you know, and, like, Absolutely. how much of it you're actually taking to heart. Yep. Yep. So, you know, I mean, this, this is such a doing this kind of work and I, and I call it work because there's a lot of effort. I don't, I don't know that anybody who has not created a podcast uh, or, or had to um, seek out content, you know, finding somebody to interview, um, trying to keep your, your subject matter uh, fresh and, and not repeat the same thing over and over again. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, on our end, it's a lot of work. It's like a second job, and but it's like a hobby though, in a sense, you know, but you're still it doing it all day long. Cause even if you're not recording the show, you're still doing the social media aspect of it. You're responding yep. to guests, you're responding to listeners, you know? Yeah. But it's incredibly rewarding. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whereas my, my regular day-to-day job, um, I'm fortunate I have a good job. Um, it's not nearly as rewarding as, as the feeling that I get from doing the show. So it's also um, too just doing your own project. Cause it's like, when you go to work, you're making somebody else's dream come true. But when you get to do your podcast, even though it is work, it doesn't feel like work because you're making your dream come true and it represents you. So it's like, you're okay with putting that extra time, extra effort, fucking sp- staying up all night, not sleeping, trying to get stuff done because it's for it's, it's your dream coming true, you know? So it's just, it means a lot more. Like I, I like to live up to my title as like a podcast host rather than I'm going to go around saying my like work title. Cause it's like, that doesn't mean nearly as much, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, you know, and <clears throat> I don't know how we, we slid down this, uh, this path. I don't know how we led into this, but, um, Hey, open conversation style. You never know where yeah, it might it, go. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been the best thing. I, I take that back. My, my children being born, obviously, and having them in my life are, is, is the best thing. Um, but I can honestly say throughout my entire life, you know, when I was a child, I was, I was going to school. I was getting good grades because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Um, then I got married and, you know, everything I did when I got up and went to work was to, you know, provide a good life for my wife and, you know, build a house. And then we had kids and, you know, now I'm getting up and I'm going to work and I'm doing everything for my kids and my wife and my house and my dog. And, you know, it's like life, right. You know, um, but you now my kids take the time to do something for you. That's what it comes down to, you know, and I, and I've never done that in my life. I'm in the, I'm in the same boat, dude. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) And now my kids are grown. They're both into their careers. Uh, They live about two hours away from me. I see them often, uh, but they're not all the time. Um, I no longer have the, the responsibilities of a marriage. Um, And now I can focus on doing something that I want to do. And that really for the first time in my life, 
I have not questioned or found a reason to talk myself out of doing it. You know, um, typically to spend the kind of money to get a podcast started off with a good sound. It's a lot of money. Yeah, you're telling me, man, $100 microphone, (laughs) (laughs) you got the interface, you got the laptop. (laughs) You know, 10 10 years ago, even five years ago, I would have found a way to talk myself out of spending the money to do this. It's just who I was. That's what I was used to doing. And uh, Same thing for me, man. Trust me. (laughs) Something happened. Something happened two years ago. And I was like, no, you know what? I've got a pretty good idea in my mind. I think it's going to work. I spent the money on the equipment, you know, fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars break right there. Boom. I hadn't even recorded a show yet. And I've spent, you know, almost $2,000 to get some equipment and the equipment arrives and I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, what did I do? You know, <laughs> the, the old me was creeping in, you know? And, uh, that was the last, that was the last time I looked back because, uh, I've, I've not questioned a single payment that I made on my equipment. I've not questioned a single dime that I've spent trying to help promote the show or get it out or go to conferences where I can meet people and hand out my business card and say, Hey, you know, like, and subscribe, man, I got great stuff (laughs) out there. So, um, it's just, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. I love doing it and I don't have any plans on stopping. So. Yeah, I'm the same way, man. I had self-doubt in the beginning trying to get everything rolling and going, but it's like once you get going, like podcasting for sure becomes like a part of you and it's almost like therapeutic in a sense too. So it's like once you start, it would almost feel like uh, like something's missing if you stop doing it, you know? Absolutely. Yep. And uh, so I'm not going to stop doing it. I'm going to keep doing it and, uh, you know, hopefully the show's going to grow and more and more people are going to listen to it and you know, with the more people that you get listening, the more people you have that have had experiences. And at some point they're going to get the courage up to contact you and say, they want to tell their story. And then it just propagates itself and turns into a machine. So, I mean, shit too, the more listeners you get, the more you have to feel, I don't want to say have to feel, but you feel like you need to keep on going too. Cause it's like, once you have a solid base of listeners, it's like, you don't want to disappoint them by like not doing the show because they're spending their time to sit down and listen to you for an hour or two talk you know, week. So it's like, you've become part of their life. So you don't want to take that away from them either because you're doing something for you. And in turn, you're also directly affecting them, be it for entertainment wise, be it for making them not feel so alone in the world because somebody else thinks the same way or experiences the same thing. Um, like, yeah, once you get going, it's like, it's not just about you anymore. There's like a lot of people that you may not know their face, but you know, you care about them and you take them into consideration when you do the things you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great thing. I, I'm, I'm, I wake up every day. <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I, I used to wake up every day and thank God for, um, my kids being healthy and, you know, being good, good kids and, you know, being able to carry on conversations with adults and look them in the eye and shake hands like a normal human being. And, you know, you, you know, I could have done a lot worse with, uh, with having kids, my kids are great. Um, but now I wake up every day and I still thank God for, for that. But I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thanking the creator for, uh, giving me the opportunity to do this. And so far, be, so far be, uh, fairly successful with it. So, um, gives you a it. voice, you know, it does, it does. And you know, when I started it, 
I, I purposely in my intro, uh, you know, I introduce the the show by saying, uh, you know, welcome. I'm your host, and this is uncomfortable. Um, it was it was specifically done that way because the show was not supposed to be about me. It was a, it was supposed to be about the topics. It was supposed to be a platform for my guest to tell their story. I was just there to facilitate giving them a platform. Um, well, you know, being being ninety shows in and uh, um, having been able to cultivate these relationships with the with the listeners that I have. It's, it's starting to become a little bit about me. Um, they've kind of made it that way. So, <laughs> but I mean, um, you're still the host, you're the guy that directs it. So, you know, no matter yeah. what, it's like people come to hear the other people's stories, but they also come to like, I don't want to say to, to, to like be part of your, to in, enjoy your personality, you know, cause it's like yeah. every host has a different way of doing things. So half of enjoying a show is enjoying the way that the host goes about hosting the show, you know? So it's like, it plays just as important of a factor as it does to have the stories on the, the episode, you know, it's like a half and a half thing, you know? Cause if you also, if somebody has a great story and you're a boring host, it's going to, you know, the listeners aren't going to get into it. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> but I guess uh, bringing Sorry it back full circle. Oh no, you're good, man. No worries at all. Um, I would like to know some of, uh, I guess kind of returning the favor in a sense, I'd like to be partly your platform for some of your stories. So, uh, I guess I'd like to start from the beginning and hear some of the experiences that you've had in your life or the most influential, um, paranormal, cryptid, whatever you want to call them experiences that you've had through your life. Okay. Um, so I've, I've had a couple of weird experiences in the woods and they're both very similar. So I'll, I'll just kind of tell them as a as a joint, uh, story, basically, um, uh, I had taken up hunting again, um, hadn't done it since I was a, a young man. And, uh, in my forties, I decided to start hunting, had a nice little piece of property. It was very small. It was a, it was a narrow piece of property and very deep, um, butted up against a, a farm, a farmed field, um, a lot of wooded area around it. And, uh, this, was this, this in was, Michigan? It was in Michigan. Yep. Southwest Michigan. And, uh, it was, you know, uh, 300 yards away from houses, um, 2000 yards away from a, a high school. Um, you know, houses weren't right on top of each other, but, uh, you know, you had about an acre, maybe half an acre to an acre between houses. And, uh, I don't know. I, I walked onto this piece of property, um, that was adjacent to where I was hunting and I did not have permission to hunt that property. Um, but it was a very interesting piece of property. As you looked on there, you would see that there was, a um, pretty much just like a normal woods, you know, with some tall oak trees and, and, uh, maples and stuff like that. And then you got to a part where everything kind of turned into pine trees and an inordinate amount of, uh, turkeys that roosted in that area. And then as you got past the, the pine trees, there was a little bit of a, a fairly well-worn path. Um, I think partially from, uh, from deer, but also, um, it looks like at some point, uh, you know, it might've been a, a walking path or something like that for the people that own the property. And then just on the opposite side of it, another swath of trees. And then there was a, a wetlands. There was a Creek that ran through there. 
a lot of tall grass. You could see where all the grass had been bent down and, and flattened on the ground where the deer would bed down at night. And uh, I could see all this from my vantage point on this other piece of property that I had permission to fight. Uh, hold on. Well, one night it was getting about a half hour before hunting was done for the day. It was really slow. Didn't see anything. Put my gun down and I decided to walk onto that piece of property. So I walked on and I probably went a good maybe 50, 60 yards into the property. And I was just looking around. I just, I was, it was just an interesting layout of, of nature. And, uh, I got far enough in where I could see the corner of the house that, that was on that property. And I was like, okay, I went too far. Um, so I turned around and I started walking back and I'm, I'm walking slowly. And, uh, all of a sudden I start feeling, hearing, uh, footsteps behind me. And I immediately, I puckered up because I was like, ah, it's the landowner. He's going to ream me for being <laughs> on his property. Um, so I specifically kept my arms down at my side. Uh, so that he could see I wasn't carrying a weapon. And uh, I just stopped. And those footsteps stopped. And I waited for I waited for my reaming. <laughs> I waited for him to just lay into me and and nobody said anything. And uh, I kind of started to turn my head. I was gonna look behind me, but I was like, I'm not going to kind of weary too because you don't know what's actually behind you (laughs) i mean anything weird wasn't even in my my mind at this point you know i just it sounded like a person walking behind me and i was like well maybe if i just keep walking he's fine with it and he's not gonna engage me so i started walking again and you know one or two steps and then all of a sudden i started hearing the footsteps behind me again and i stopped and they stopped I started walking again and they started walking again. And then all of a sudden I was hit with this, this bullet in my brain. And it was like, Oh my God, this is a deer. This is a huge deer, a 10 point, 12 point buck. And it's following me. It's following me back to my deer stand. I said, all I have to do is get to behind the the tree fall where I had my, my gun propped up. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to turn around in one, one quick motion. He's going to be right there behind me and I'm going to drop him. So I'm excited. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, why would he be following me? And it's like, well, maybe I had deer estrus on me from one of my other, uh, outings, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it, cause it was around the time of the rut and I'm like, oh man, I hope he doesn't like decide to attack me, you know, and, <laughs> and gore me with his horns or anything. And, uh, so I get back to where my, uh, you know, and I was walking slowly. And it was walking, it was, it was equaling my speed. And, uh, so I got to, I got to where my gun was and I was able to reach down with my left arm, pick up the gun and I, I slowly moved it back up. So I had the barrel was in front of my face. I got my hand down around the trigger guard and I'm thinking to myself, it's like, okay, I'm going to take a, a real quick spin. I'm not even going to move my legs. I'm just going to spin at the waist so that I'm facing behind me. And he's going to be right there. I mean, he can't be more than 10 yards away from me. So as I start to even twitch to turn, I hear this massive exhale of air and it's just this. And then I hear thump, thump. 
and I'm staring at nothing. There is nothing behind me. There's not a twig that's moving back and forth. There's no leaf that's like slowly drifting down to the ground. There's nothing, absolutely nothing there. And I was like, so I pretty quickly after the shock of not seeing anything, I, I took two steps back onto that property, still holding my shotgun. And, and I'm looking in the direction that I heard it leave, which would have been off to my left. And I'm looking and I'm, I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to see this huge white tail from behind a trunk of a tree, you know, just, just this massive uh, tree standing in the way with the, the head and the horns on one side, the tail on the other. And I have no shot, right? There's nothing, absolutely nothing. You can't see a twig, you know, wiggling like it got brushed against while something was running past it. No, nothing. And I'm like, damn. Man, that thing was moving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how the hell did it get that? And it was starting to get dark. There was still a little bit of light, and it was a little bit darker inside the woods because of the canopy and everything. And uh, so I just got my stuff and I started walking back about 150 yards to get back to where my vehicle was parked, back up towards the road. And uh, as I'm walking along the, uh, now I'm walking in a, um, a fairly, fairly manicured, field you know nothing nothing too uh nothing too tall but i'm walking right along the tree line heading back to my car and as i'm walking i'm hearing the footsteps in the tree line and it just it sounds literally like it's maybe 20 feet away from me so i reach to my belt and i pull out my my flashlight and i turn it on and i'm you know i'm fully expecting to see a deer walking through the trees and there's nothing i i saw nothing. I didn't see a squirrel. I didn't see anything. And it was just, it was just strange, you know, but you know, you can be out hunting and looking at a field and a, and a deer, all of a sudden a deer is there and it's, you never saw it come out of the, the woods. They're camouflaged, even though they're a tan and tan and white, it's still a, a miraculous camouflage of nature. Yeah. It blends um, in with the trees. Yeah. So you know, it was just, it was one of those things. It was weird, but I wasn't thinking Bigfoot. I wasn't thinking anything like that. Well, I had the same, basically the same thing happen, um, about 15 miles away at another piece of property that I've hunted and, uh, almost exactly the same situation. Only this time I was sitting on a bucket underneath a tree fall. It was colder than hell out. I saw six or seven deer come out of the tree line about 300, 400 yards away from me. And, uh, I did some calls and they kind of started coming my way, but it was going to be quite a while before they got to me. So I was just sitting patiently and, you know, trying to enjoy the day and freezing my butt off. And, uh, from behind me, from behind me, there's this <laughs> just, you know, and I'm like, I literally, dude, I thought, I thought a horse was behind me, you know, just that, that thing they do without flapping their lips, but that, you know, just that massive exhale of air. And I didn't hear any steps that time, but that, that breath, I, I swear I could almost feel it through my coat. You know, I'm sure that was my imagination, but you could almost feel like the, the exhale of hair. And, and uh, was this so, like a dog man area by chance? Like, is it, <laughs> theoretically possible that it could like you know you never know what it could be but was it was it known dog man areas um there's not many dog man uh experiences down around southwestern michigan there are bigfoot 
down in south southwest michigan though because uh, uh dog man's like more like northwest correct yeah about middle of the state on up yeah yeah i thought um, it was like traverse city yeah. a little bit south of traverse city type area for anybody that's familiar with like michigan yeah well traverse city is actually the there's a there's a song about the dog man um I think it was 1980. I might be wrong by a year or two. A uh, local DJ up in Traverse City recorded a song about Dogman and released it as a, uh, I don't know if it was released for as an April Fool's or a, or a Halloween uh, song. He released it on his radio station and, you know, it kind of picked up some, uh, some listeners and people were, were requesting it a lot, but uh, he just, he says that he wrote it as a, as a joke. Um you know, dog man encounters have, have proliferated that area throughout history. Um, so, you know, whether it was a joke or not, or whether it was based on fact, who knows, but, uh, I think, you know, after, after having talked to a lot of people and read a lot of stories and a lot of other people as accounts, uh, it's pretty consistent with, you know, people getting paced out of the woods. You know, I was there hunting deer, you know, what a, what are Bigfoot gonna have as far as a, a large portion of protein in their diet? They're going after deer. So, you I mean, know. even so, if they're like a lot of people like to envision them as like, they, they try to protect nature. Um, I mean, of course they're eating for the sake of eating, but they could be seeing people as hunting for the sake of game. So they could be intentionally, if they are some type of protector of nature, also they could be trying to like intentionally push people out that they believe have like the wrong intentions in that area, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I had those experiences. Um, it wasn't until several years later after reading other people's accounts and stuff and drawing a correlation to, wow, that was really similar to what happened to me. Um, did I see it? No, I didn't see anything that was, you know, looking back on it with the, with the amount of sound that was associated with whatever was walking behind me. It's even more confounding now to think back of it that i didn't see anything so i mean if bigfoots can do the cloaking thing too theoretically i mean it could have been standing right behind you and it could have just went whoop you know like that that classic thing you see in cartoons where they're like tiptoeing behind somebody and then they disappear real quick yeah could could have been doing something like that you know yeah so you know I, i had that experience uh back when i was around 13 or 14 years old in my neighborhood um i'm actually sitting about four feet away from the, the window where it happened because I live in my childhood home now. Um, I was, uh, my parents were out for the night. My, my grand, my dad's mom, my, my grandmother was, was babysitting and, uh, it was a Friday night. I was watching creature feature out of, uh, out of Chicago on, uh, channel 32. And, uh, I'm watching this movie. It's summertime. The door is open. There's a screen door in the windows are open. Screens are in and, uh, we're not too close, not too far away from South Bend regional airport. And, uh, at times we were kind of, it's changed throughout the years, but at, back at this time we were kind of in the flight path to, uh, to South Bend regional. And I remember hearing a jet go over and it, you know what the Doppler effect is? where you hear something way off in the distance it's and as it gets closer to you, it gets louder. And when it's right on top of you, it's really loud. And then as it goes farther away from you again, it, it starts to get decrease in sound. 
Well, that wasn't happening with this plane. And I, I can remember I was laying on the floor in a prone position with my arms up underneath my chin. And I looked back at my grandma and she's sitting in her, uh, <laughs> it's amazing the detail that I have left from this experience. I look back and she's sitting in a chair. She's doing a crossword puzzle in the old TV guide and she's smoking her cigarette. And I said, grandma, why is that? Why is that plane just keep going and going and going? It doesn't sound like it's going anywhere. And, uh, pretty standard for her. She was, she was wrapped up in doing her crossword puzzle. I don't think she was paying any attention to me. And, uh, I just remember that sound just keep going and going. It sounded like a plane going overhead. And, uh, you know, this is probably in the neighborhood of 1030, maybe on its way, getting closer to 11 o'clock, something like that at night. And, uh, all of a sudden outside of my house, right outside this window, <laughs> it got so bright outside. It was dead of night. It became so bright. Like a, like standard white light bright or like a specific color. So I stood up and I walked over to the window and I was, I was looking out at the eaves trough, you know, the, the, uh, the overhang of the house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a kid, my parents used to hang up Christmas lights on the, on the gutters, but they used to be the big C six or C seven, the kind that would screw in. And they looked like a big colored teardrop, you know, or a gumdrop. Yeah. The, the giant old school bulbs. Yep. So if you would have, if you would have strung those lights along the gutter, but they weren't hanging down where you could see them, and you turn them on, you would just see the glow of like the blue and the orange and the green and the red and the, you know, as the colors went down, you mm -hmm. just kind of see the glow of each color. That's kind of what it looked like hmm. coming down from like the gutter. So I never saw the source of the light. I never saw, um, I assume from the way it was, the, the direction of the light was directly above us. Um, whether it's directly above my house or, or another. Um, but I stood up and, and I, I noticed that. And the first thing that went through my head was, you know, the Christmas lights. But then I looked out across the street and I was looking at my neighbor's house and it was broad daylight. And it was, it was the brightest, most intense light that I'd ever seen. That being said, it didn't make you squint. You didn't have to like shield your eyes because it was so bright, which is kind of weird because it was like yeah. intensely bright. Like, um, it almost you know, makes like you a, wonder if it's like a light that's not fully in our spectrum. So our eyes don't know how to like perceive it properly. Well, it was definitely in our spectrum and I'll, and I'll explain why. Um, it was, you know, like sometimes you see a photograph that's like, um, overexposed or oversaturated where it's just like, you have a hard time kind of focusing on it. Yeah. So I'm looking out across the street and I'm looking at, and I'm, I can see the sighting on the house across the street. And, you know, I'm looking between the two houses and I, I'm staring at the back of my best friend's um, house that lived on the other block. And I'm looking at it and I can see they had had a, a car had accidentally driven through the back of their garage and they had to repair the sighting on the back of the garage when it was repaired you could see there was a slight difference in color on the siding where they replaced it versus the, the siding that was on the house originally. And I could see the difference in the color of that siding, you know, and we're talking, you know, 
pretty close to 80 to 100 yards away. Then I looked over at the other neighbor house and, and you could see between the houses and I was looking back and I never noticed this telephone pole in the backyard of Mr. Dale's house with a, a transformer on it and, you know, electrical transformer. And I was like, I'm seeing all this detail and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And, and I'm asking my grandma, I said, grandma, what's going on? Why is it so bright outside? And she goes, Oh, I don't know, honey. It's, it's probably just a storm. And it was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But you know, I was more interested in what was going on versus, you know, arguing with her, her rebuttal. And, uh, the thing that the, the thing that really captured my attention, I couldn't take my eyes off of it was I was looking, you know, by that telephone pole with the transformer, I was looking at this, this giant Oak tree that was in the back of Mr. Dale's house. And I, I was looking at it and I was like, why does it look so weird? And then it dawned on me, the light was everywhere. There was no shadows on anything. Huh. I could see the backs of the leaves inside the canopy of the tree. That's... I could see the backs of the leaves from like the inside of the tree. It was that bright. It was lit up that bright that even, even under the canopy of the tree was lit up. And then my grandma came up to me and she grabbed me by my, my right arm. And she pulled me away from the window and she says, I said, get away from the window. I could tell she was getting like nervous. And as she pulled me away from the window, it, it turned me to the right and it pointed me directly to right at the end of our street. It goes into a curve and right on that curve is a telephone pole with a dusk to dawn light. It's always been there. It comes on in the, in the evening when it starts getting dark, it goes off in the morning when it gets light enough. And when she when she grabbed my arm, everything went back to being black. It was nighttime again, but that light, the street light was starting to flicker. Like it was just coming back on. <laughs> so I know, I know for a fact that whatever happened was bright enough to make that light shut off. And, uh, the next morning I woke up and my parents were home. They were sitting in the kitchen, having coffee. My grandma had spent the night. She was sitting there having coffee with them. I got up and I was like, oh my God, you guys are going to believe this. <laughs> I can't wait to tell you. And I start telling them about that. And it says, tell them grandma, tell them grandma. And she's like, oh honey, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was anything. And she was a wonderful woman. I loved her to death. She was, she was a, a young kid's best friend as far as grandma could be concerned. And I can remember just being so upset with her that she threw me under the bus and wouldn't, wouldn't confirm that, that all that had happened. So that was a Friday night, Saturday morning. It's the day that I, I was uh, explaining it to my parents and my parents only got the newspaper on Sundays cause they were cheap. And that was the only day that the, uh, the newspaper ads would come out for the grocery stores for the sale ads. <laughs> and, uh, so Sunday afternoon I was walking out of the kitchen going down the hallway to go to my bedroom and my dad's in the living room, sitting on the couch, reading the newspaper. And he goes, Hey kid, here's your effing UFO story. And I was like, what? And my, my dad always talked. He never minced words. And, uh, I stopped and I said, what? And he goes, your UFO story, here it is. And in the South Bend Tribune, there was this little article that was maybe like five or six lines. And it said residents of Hollyhock road, just South of state line 
reported seeing lights in the sky above Claffy's field. So when you drive, <laughs> when you drive, when you drive out of my neighborhood, two streets away, you go on to Hollyhock road. Claffy's field was a field that it, most of it was farmed, but there was like an acre, maybe not quite an acre that was just kind of like shit land. They didn't do anything with it. They would every once in a while take a brush hog and knock down all the weeds and everything. And we would play football. We'd play hot box. We'd play baseball, whatever. We always just went and played in that field. And that's where the, the article said that the lights were seen over that field, which is directly, you know, a quarter of a block away from, from where I experienced the, the entire neighborhood lighting up. So I never talked to anybody else in the neighborhood about it because I wasn't going to be the guy that said, Hey, do you guys see how bright it got last <laughs> night? You know? And, um, but yeah, that was a little bit of confirmation for me that, uh, that something was going on. So almost makes you wonder where it was like sitting or hovering. If there was a craft there that it would be able to illuminate everything in the manner that it did, where it seemed like the light wasn't coming from any direct angle or what type of like technology or frequency or whatever it's giving off that we can't even comprehend, you know? Exactly. I know. Um, you know, that thing has stuck with me. Um, when I, I don't even have to close my eyes and the detail that I remember from that, that span of, you know, it couldn't have been more than three minutes from the time I heard the, the plane going overhead till the time she pulled my arm and it went back to being dark. It couldn't have, I don't, if it was more than three minutes, it couldn't have been much, you know I mean? So, you know, that, that's another thing, you know, it's like it, it has stayed with me. Um, there was a, there was a point when I was, you know, I told you I used to go to, I used to go to bed scared shitless because of all the, the movies that I'd watch and all the, the, the UFO <laughs> stuff I'd read. And, you know, I, I forget what age I was. It was like seven or eight years old. My godfather bought me a hard copy, a uh, hardbound copy of project blue book. And that was that re oh. <laughs> as far as a reading level, as far as a reading level, that was so far over my head, you know, that I didn't know what the hell I was reading. I mean, I understood the words and stuff, but I half of the, the, the scientific terms they were using, I had no idea what the hell that was, but you know, nevertheless, I had it. And, uh, I can remember there was a, there was a time where, um, so here was the deal, you know, I'd, I'd fill my head with all this shit during the day and then I'd get scared. So instead of closing my bedroom door at night, I would leave it open about six or seven inches, you know, just enough where when they turn the hallway light on, I would have some light creeping into my room and then I was okay. Everything was cool. I could sleep, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I had, I was, I was rolled over facing away from the door. I rolled over, started facing the door and it wasn't uncommon for my parents to check on me. I mean, you're a parent, you check on your kids, mm -hmm. you know, before you go to bed and stuff like that. So you open the door or you lean in the door and you make sure they're where they're supposed to be and everything's good. So I, I roll over and I look and there's a, there's a figure standing at the door and it's, you know, the light is on in the hallway and they're on this side of the light. So the lights behind them. So it's creating a silhouette and, uh, 
you know, my dad was a little bit shorter than me. He had a flat top haircut uh, every day of my life. Uh, it was, you could set a beer on it. It was so flat. Um, he was a little bit pudgy. Uh, my mom had curly hair and she was a bit roly poly. So they both had very distinctive uh, silhouettes. You know, I mean, they were very easily recognizable. And this silhouette that I was seeing standing in my doorway was uh, considerably taller. I mean, it, I'm not talking like seven foot or anything. It was just, you know, like good six foot, maybe six, one, six, two, tall, thin, um, a bit curlier, bushier hair. And uh, it scared the hell out of me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know who that was. You know, it didn't, it didn't register with me because I didn't have any brothers or sisters. I was an only child. So there was only my mom, my dad, and and me that lived in the house. And that silhouette was neither one of them. Um, I was awake. I know I was awake. I know I wasn't dreaming. Because um, I damn near shit myself, to be honest with you. Um, and I closed my eyes and I just wished it to go away and you know, open my eyes back up. You know, I don't know how long it took, but, you know, I forced one eye open and, and it was gone. Um, never told anybody about that. Never said a word about it to anybody. Um, can still see it in my head clear as day. So I'm doing an episode with uh, a woman by the name of Karen Tatro, who's a psychic medium from uh, the East Coast. Amazing woman. Very, very, very nice. Very real she, you know, there's, there are psychics out there that they, they make their living taking money from people for, you know, telling them a bunch of BS, but this woman, she is on, spot on. And I'll tell you why, uh, I believe that because she, um, after doing a, about a two and a half hour episode with her, we did two part. Um, she offered me a reading as a thank you for having her on the show and getting her name out there. And I said, you know what? I'd absolutely love to have a reading. I said, but you know, I can't come out to, I can't come out to the East coast for this. So um, she goes, you don't need to, she says, you just need to put yourself in a, in a position of being nice and relaxed and let me focus on your energy and we'll see what comes of it. So we did that. We set up a time. She said when she was going to start working and uh, I came in my living room and I sat down and I just, shut the, shut the TV off, made sure I was just kind of calm my mind, you know, and just not really meditated, but just, just shut down for a while. Mm -hmm. So then she starts, uh, she starts messaging me what she's seen, what she's feeling. And, uh, she was, she was hitting the mark. Now I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a very big presence on social media as a, as a podcast host, I use Facebook to promote the show. Um, but my personal Facebook, I don't, I don't check in every time I walk in from one room in my house to another. I don't, uh, you know, please send prayers. I got a hangnail. Um, Hey, I, I'm the know, same way. I like never use my personal profile. <laughs> you, know, you know, everybody rejoice. My kid farted sideways. You know, I just, I don't <laughs> post that stuff, you know? Um, so you can dig into me. You can find out where I live. You can find out I'm divorced. You can find out how old I am. You can find out what my old telephone number was. You can find out some superficial information about me, but there is not much out there about me. So there's in no way, shape or form. 
uh, an ability for her to have uh, scoured the internet and, and got information about me. Um, so she was, she was hitting pretty, pretty solid on, on a number of things. And, uh, then she started talking about spirits that were around me and, uh, she, she, she nailed, she nailed two that her description of them were hundred percent who I knew they were. And then she said, and I have this, I have this third and she goes, I don't know what he is. I don't know what it is. I don't the know first two from. like family members. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off, but yep. like family yep. members. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, I don't, this, this one kind of, this one kind of doesn't really scare me, but it's weird because I can usually tell if it's human spirit or if it's angelic or, you know, if it's a spiritual, uh, a spirit guide or something like that. And she says, I don't know where this comes from. She says, it's, it's a dark figure. It's, it's smoky. It's uh it's, and then she says, it's a shadow person. That's, that's the only way I can describe it. It's a shadow person. She says, it's tall, it's lean. It's got, you know, bushy hair and, you know, she's describing, dude, she's describing what I saw when I was a kid looking <laughs> in that doorway. And, uh, I'm just like, I'm looking at this message as it's coming through. And she says, um, she says, the, the good thing though, is that I can tell you, it doesn't mean you any harm, but it says that you may have recognized it in your room and it, it shows itself at times of great um when when there's like big decisions to be made now i don't recall what i was going through when i saw that i don't know if there was you know if i was conflicted or if there were some kind of decisions that i was making i mean i was relatively young so i can't imagine that it was anything too important um but her description of this thing she nailed it and the thing that kind of creeped me out a little bit about it was the fact that she she seemed slightly off put by the fact that she couldn't tell where where it originated that it was a human spirit or something else but she did say it wasn't it wasn't there to cause any harm um so see i've gotten into the shadow people things a lot too um coming from somebody who also has had a lot of shadow people experiences it seems like they like a lot of the times they'll like tie themselves to one person and just like people it, you can't really define them good or bad by them as a whole. Like you have to kind of take them individually depending on each specific shadow person. And like coming from like the ones that I experienced when I was a kid, I had one in particular with like green eyes and I used to like fear of it when I was a kid and then coming to be a little bit older, um, like it never did anything, never did anything scary or anything like that. And it started to make me wonder like what it's like honest intentions may have been. And it probably wasn't necessarily anything evil, but uh, I mean, I want your opinion on it, but my, my opinion of what I've kind of gathered is that if there's a place that's called the void, or there's just like an empty dimension, that's just dark. I kind of feel like they're what inhabit that. And that's kind of like the idea that I have of shadow people, at least. Yeah. Yeah. There it's a, <clears throat> it's a bizarre thing for me. I don't, I don't know. I, I've heard of I've heard of shadow people in so many weird different situations that I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, now that's not to say that 
there's multiple entities that are capable of producing themselves in that in that uh, to look like that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it may be something that's just not distinguishable by the human eye. Like maybe we can see that there's something physically there blocking the light, but maybe again, going back to like the vision thing, maybe we can't perceive them because we can't perceive whatever colors or like spectrum they're coming from, but we can see like the blocking of light, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That, that's an interesting way of looking at it. That's that very well could be, you know, so that was a pretty profound thing for me. Um, then, you know, probably moving forward, uh, I had a couple of weird experiences, uh, uh, as a teenager, uh, I graduated as a junior instead of a senior because we were having a lot of riots and, uh, stuff going on at the school. I realized I had enough credits to graduate and I wanted to get out of that environment. And, uh, I took what would have been my senior year and I just worked full time. My, my plan was to go to college after that. Uh, but I was dating a girl who went down to the university of, uh, IU and IU University down in Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And, uh, back in those days, the thing you did when you had a girlfriend was, and she was away, you would make a mixtape and send it to her. And, you know, I'd send her her favorite candies and a mixtape of the music that we would listen to. And, um, so I, I made her a tape and I sent it to her and, my dad, my dad was a bit of an ass because he didn't like to pay for long distance phone calls. So <laughs> if I wanted to call her, I would have to go take a bunch of change down to a pay phone and call her from a pay phone so that my dad's phone bill wasn't getting rung up. So I go down and I call her and she basically like gets on the phone and just tears me a new one and tells me how dare I send that to her and she's sending everything back and she's done. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, so a couple of days later, I get a package back in the mail and it's got the tape in it. And it's got this note that is like, I don't know why you would do this to me. Do you think this is funny? I didn't think it was funny. You know, you scared me and I just, I don't want anything to do with this. And I was like, what the hell is she talking about? Um, so I, you know, I was feeling, I was feeling down, man. <laughs> I was out of bummed because I really liked this girl. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of her being, you know, four hours away at college never really occurred to me that we were going to break up, you know, which obviously we were going to, but, um, at that point I was like, everything is going to be great. We're going to see each other again. You know, you'll be home at Christmas. And so I went downstairs in the basement where I kind of had a, a drawing table set up and, uh, kind of had myself a little office kind of thing. And, uh, so I popped the tape in in the, the player and I started listening to it and, you know, the one side had music on it that I put on it and I got part way through that and I turned it over and rewound the other side and started listening to it. And there was this guttural, just horrifying. And it just went on and on and on. I mean, it's like it wasn't taking a breath or anything. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, the hair stood up on my arms and I was like, what in the hell is this? You know, because I had recorded music on both sides of this thing. And I even had written down all the songs on the little part of the cassette that you slid in the, in the case. 
and it was just all this this growling this i mean it was it was almost like you know you know when you got like an upset stomach and your stomach just growls mm-hmm. you know and you, that you, there's nothing you can do to hide it it just happens it was it was almost like that um was it almost it, like a like a paranormal kind of sounding like growl almost like like that low kind of like undertone yeah yeah um so i bring it upstairs and i get on the phone i call my buddy uh kevin kevin and i were so completely different but he was just the greatest guy in the world this guy was like four foot nine weighed about 350 pounds all he did all day long was work on his car um he was like a throwback he he should have actually grown up like in the 50s because he was <laughs> just a gearhead and uh, all he all he ever wanted to do was work on his car and the poor bastard he was so fat that you know he never had a girlfriend or anything but he just couldn't help he was just the jolliest guy in the world and uh i called him up i said dude you you gotta come over here you gotta hear this and uh so he shows up and you know it's it's kevy he's like hey hey hey, hey mr sludgy hey mr sludgy hey, you got it any chance i can get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or you know <laughs> and uh um so we we go back downstairs and we play that thing and he his eyes get all big and wide and he looks at me and kind of gets freaked out and he's like you got to tell your dad about this and i said you think and he's like oh yeah yeah and he, he's shaking his head and the poor guy his cheeks are just jiggling <laughs> shaking his head and uh so we brought it upstairs and i told my dad about it and he's like I don't know what I expected, but he didn't give me what I expected. He was, he like never broke, he never broke face. He, he, you know, if I would, if I would say something like fantastical to him, he'd be like, roll his eyes or whatever. He didn't do that. And he said to me, you take that outside take it down to the end of the driveway and you burn it. And I was like, what <laughs> do you think he had an idea of like what it may have been? And then he says, I want you to say this prayer. And I said, what? And he's like, he only told me this once and I never forgot it. And till this day, when I pray or I meditate, I include it in some way, shape or form when I'm, when I'm communing with whatever is our creator. And he said, uh, cover us with your blood, protect us from all the bad in the world. And I never heard that added to a prayer ever, (laughs) you know, that that's a, that's a very specific thing to say. Yeah, it is. And for, you know, like as a, as a parent, when you're trying to console your kid, when they're scared, you'll, you know, like, I mean, there was a time where my son was convinced there was a monster in his closet and I, you know, he had this plastic sword and I said, 
you know, you, you say these magic words and that sword will protect you, you know, and nothing can happen. And, and he'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm good. I can go to bed now. You know? Um, so you do that for your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe there was a possibility that he was saying that and it was just, since it was coming for him, it was going to convince me that it, everything was going to be okay. There's more to that prayer. I'm not, I'm not going to say the whole thing because the most impactful part of it is, you know, cover us with your blood, Mm. um, protect us from all the bad in the world, all the evil in the world. So we went outside and we took it down to the end of the driveway where the curb is. And I always used to watch my dad when he would burn the leaves, he would get this tiny little Dixie cup, fill it with a little bit of gasoline, pour it on there, get the fire started. So I poured a little bit of gas in the Dixie cup. I threw it on top of the cassette. And I threw a match on it and it started to burn. Well, within the orange flames, there was a blue flame in the middle of it. And that blue flame, that blue flame was an upside down cross. Whoa. And Kevin saw it. And that poor little fat bastard, he ran so damn fast back into the house that he left me in the dust. Did you I end up telling it. your dad that too? I did. And he said, just say that prayer every night. Say that prayer. Do you think that your it, it dad was, <laughs> may have known what it was or had a similar experience at some point? Years later, during a, an evening where he had several drinks, he said, he said that as a young man, he had done, he had dated a Jewish girl back when, like in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And he said he did her wrong. He said he did her dirty. I don't know what that was. I mean, I don't know if he lied to her or if he, you know, was double dipping or I don't know. I don't know what it was. But he said that he felt that that girl had placed a curse on him. That was the one and only time he ever said it. I didn't ask him what he meant by it. That was, that was a statement that it was like, what, you know, and. Uh, Seems like he subconsciously wanted to tell you almost like, cause you connected the dots between the years. Yeah. So maybe it was something that was bothering him for a while and it just kind of spilled out one night, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I had that happen. And then uh, at 21, my dad was 50. He, uh, he, was, he was trying to walk home from a, from a bar that was about a block away from our house. Um, he decided to walk home instead of having my mom come pick him up. And uh, he got through four lanes of through four lanes of traffic. And when he got to the last lane, uh, he got hit, hit and killed by a car. Um, so that was, that was pretty rough. Cause we had kind of gone through a, we had gone through a period of time where, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to pull away. I was trying to be my own man and he was still wanting me to be a little kid and, you know, it was causing friction and we, we weren't at each other's throats, but we weren't as close as we had been. And, uh, at 21, we kind of started getting back to, 
being able to go fishing again to de- together and, and do things together without having any friction or stress between the two of us. And then boom, he's, he's gone, you know? So I never really got back to being great with him. Um, and it took, you know, it, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to remember, but I'm going to say it took eight, nine, 10 months. And, uh, um, So I had gone, I had gone to, uh, one of the big box stores and I had bought my first, uh, cordless telephone and it was the size of a regular telephone. You pull this long ass antenna out of it and it had a base and, uh, and I bought a, um, a recording machine, a message recorder and I had just gotten everything set up and. I had it for like a day or two. I went to bed one night, two o'clock in the morning, phone rings and I pop up and I answer the phone and my dad always used to call me boy. Uh, he'd hardly ever call me by my name. He'd just like, Hey boy, why don't you go grab this? Hey boy, grab me something out of the fridge. Hey boy, don't you think you ought to get the grass cut? You know, Hey boy, why don't you go gr- uh, wash the car? It was always, Hey boy. And, uh, the phone rings two o'clock in the morning. I, I sit up and I grab it and I pull the antenna up. I put it up to my ear. I said, hello. And, uh, on the other end of the line, I hear, Hey boy. And then it goes <laughs> eh, 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 like it disconnects. And, you know, I'm sitting up in bed and I'm looking at the phone and I'm like, was that a dream? You know, was, did I just, but I'm awake. And I'm like, was I imagining that? Is that what the fuck? Oops, sorry. Um, no, you're good. You can swear all you want. <laughs> and so I, I hit stop on the phone and I put it back on its base. And no sooner do I put the phone back in the base, the phone rings again. <laughs> and I didn't want to grab it but I, I just like was on autopilot and I grabbed the phone and I said, hello. And it's a woman's voice. And she goes, are you okay? And I was like, what? And she goes, this is Sergeant so-and-so from the South Bend police department. Is there somebody in the house that shouldn't be there? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She I said, it's two o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm the only one here. And she goes, are you sure? Is everything okay? Should we send somebody out? And I said, no, everything's fine. And she said, well, we just received a 911 phone call from this phone. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, 30 seconds ago, I was on the phone with my dad and he's been dead for like 10 months. You know, I didn't say that, but that's what's going through my mind. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like in total disbelief. And she says, you know, like the last thing she says is she's, are you sure? Can you, can you walk through the house and and double check to make sure everything's fine? And I said, yeah, hang on a second. And I said, you know, I I just got a cordless phone. So I said, "I, I can stay on the phone with you while I walk through the house. And she goes, Oh, you have a cordless phone. And I said, yeah. And she said, 
oh, well, sometimes those dial 911 on their own. Are you sure everything's okay? And I said, yeah. And she goes, okay, have a good night. And she hung up real abruptly. And it was like, you know, so I'm standing in the other part of the house and I, I've got this phone in my hand. I just heard my dad's voice on the phone, you know, less than two minutes before that. As soon as I set the phone down, the phone rings and they tell me they got a 911 call. And I'm like, you know, was that because during this time, you know, I, this is probably way more personal than I need to get, but I, I didn't realize that my parents weren't doing real well with their marriage. Mm-hmm. So after my dad died, you know, my mom grieved and she missed him and, you know, she was, she had memories of when things were good. Um, but she kind of went to start sowing her oats, you know, to, Mm. to use a term. So she wasn't living at the house at the time. She was spending time with some other guy, uh, on the other side of town. And so I was in this house alone and, you know, I started thinking, it's like, she wasn't here. 911 call 911 is when you need help. You know, was that, was that his way of like getting a message to me that either he thought I needed help because my mom had left and he wanted to make sure that I was taken care of or. uh, Do you think it may have been that he had the traumatic death and he may have been trying to like call for help for himself possibly? Possible. Yeah. Well, I guess connecting to one, uh, one of the older stories that you were saying too, you said that there was two, beings that were like around you that were family members, uh, is one of those, does one of those happen to be your father? Um, no, no. Um, I don't know if I want to get into that. Um, so my mom has dementia and in the past the past three years, it's gotten considerably worse. And back in November, I had to put her in a nursing home because it was more than I could, um, more than I could take care of. Mm-hmm. So when she was describing the spirits that were around me, she was describing my mom. She was describing my mom, who she was, not who she is now. So it was kind of like, uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where when you start getting to be a little bit older, you kind of have a foot in both worlds. Um, is that kind of how you interpreted it also? Well, I had reached back out to her after, after that. And I asked her if it was possible, if she thought it was possible that when, when somebody goes through a traumatic change in their life, um, when they're not who they used to be does a portion of that soul could a could a portion of your soul leave you could a part of your your spirit pass before you physically pass and she she pondered that for a while and her response was i think that i've run into that before so who she who she, uh, who she was describing was very much my mom, who she was 
you know, 10, 15 years ago. The other one was a very large male sitting in a chair, dirty work boots, massive, massive, massive guy. My son struggled with, uh, with some depression issues, some anxiety and some OCD issues. Um, and then he got, then he got on some medication and he's a completely different kid now. He is, he's healthy. He's got a great outlook on life. He was, I mean, he was never like suicidal or anything like that. He just wasn't, he was just riddled with anxiety about stupid things and, and OCD things. Like when you tell him, Hey, make sure you lock the door. When you go to, when you leave, he would leave, he'd lock the door, he'd leave, but then he'd have to drive around the block, come back home and double check that he made sure he locked the door. You know, he just couldn't, or, you know, Hey, did you close the garage door? And he'd be like, Oh my God, he knew he did, but he, he didn't trust himself. So he would have to go back and check to make sure he shut the garage door. So who she was describing was my son to a T, but he's perfectly alive and, and normal, but he is considerably different than who he was four years ago because of the medication that he's on now. Mm-hmm. And again, she said, you know, that, that part of him may have already passed that, that part of his spirit that he no longer has to deal with has already passed. And because my mom is now in a, in a different state of mind, her, who she was, the essence of who she was, the, the, the jovial and, and loving and, uh, you know, nurturing, she passed. She's, she's not needed there anymore. So I don't know. It's, it adds a whole new dimension to, <laughs> you know, so. I mean, even uh, just like guardian angels, like what people perceive as guardian angels could take on a whole different light at that aspect that it could be theoretically like fractured parts of yourself watching over yourself, you know? Yeah. So. You know, I have no idea about this stuff. All I know is I've gone through it and it's left me with more questions. And I just keep talking to people, hoping that, you know, somebody's going to say that one thing that, that adds some clarity to one of the things that I've had go on in my life. So, um, dude, we could go on for oh yeah easily two two more hours um we've we just barely scratched the surface but uh um you know that's why i do what i do i i uh you know just just like being able to talk to you about this stuff um makes you not feel so alone in the world too you know when you have somebody that'll just sit down and have a listening ear and not just have a biased opinion off of a story right off the bat you know yeah or say something's not irrational or not true because all we can do is theorize and that's how we progress and start to, you know, figure things out, you know, is by coming up with creative theories on what things could potentially be and then yep. prove certain aspects of that false or true and then kind of build onto the theory from there. And the one thing that I'll tell you is, you know, and, you, and you'll find this the longer you do it and, you know, the longer, the more years you get under your belt as, as far as being a, alive, um, your, your ideas on things are going to change. You know, you're going to have, you know, you're, you're firmly founded or firmly rooted in, in some of your beliefs right now. And, you know, five years from now, 
you may have talked to somebody or had an experience that completely changes your your perspective on on any number of things. So um, I think, you know, when we say are people open or are they closed off to these type of things, I think the I think the key is being open to everything all the time, you know, being open to hearing other people's perspectives, being, you know, I mean, I've always been like when people talk about Bigfoot cloaking, that means they're physically changing their physical body and making them transparent. You know, that's got to be what's happening. If, if, if it's true, that's what's happening. But then I talked to this person and she starts describing, um, you know, how her environment changed. And, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So, I mean, there could be what, multiple different uh, species of Bigfoot, too, that could potentially do different things also, depending on like region or where they happen to be or where yeah. they've adapted to. Yeah. I mean, you have human beings that are true psychics. You know, I, I've interviewed a woman, uh, Cheryl Lynn Carter. She's from around your area, uh, there in the Detroit area. Um, she's been part of a, a group called Project Psy for several years. It's a um, conglomeration of uh, four or five different psychics plus a, a mediator that pretty much runs the team. They've been responsible for the recovery of over 230 missing children. I'll have to try to get her contact info. She sounds like a very interesting person to have a conversation uh, with. <laughs> and they've closed down like 11 or 12 different uh, child trafficking rings by using their psychic abilities to locate these kids. Was and she then, involved in know, that one that happened in Detroit where there was like over 100 kids all in one house? It would not surprise me. Um, she's not very um, forthright as far as specifics. I imagine there's probably some uh, some reasons why she can't, you know, tell exactly specific things. I mean, um, there might be people that are, you know, in jail possibly, and she just doesn't want any ties coming back to anybody yeah. knowing that it's her, you know, because when yeah. you're dealing with people that are willing to do things to kids, like they're who knows like what they're capable of at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, when you're talking about when you make a bold statement, like you've, you've been responsible, uh, your group has been responsible for the recovery of over 230, some missing children, some alive, some dead, um, some that have been, you know, found in uh, shallow burial grounds that nobody would have ever found um, had it not been for them to do it. That's, those are pretty bold claims, but um, you know, the fact that the law enforcement agencies are using them and then uh, commending them, for, for finding these kids, um, you know, the U S government spent millions and millions and millions of dollars on psychic research. Oh and, yeah. And, and they, they had a great success with it. Um, so, you know, speaking of that, I'm wearing my, uh, research project gateway shirt. So kind of funny you mentioned that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I see that now. Um, you know, so for people to say that all psychics are, are phonies, that's not true. There's a lot of them out there that are phonies. Um, but there are, there are those that they, they do have a gift for being able to do this stuff. So, um, just like most things, it gets diluted out by the fact that there's like one in 10 that actually have a real ability, but because most people interact with the other nine out of 10, they just, you know, discredit well, any of it. Absolutely. And, you know, you get somebody who's, uh, uh, wants to make a buck and you can figure out a cute little parlor trick to, uh, get some information on somebody and, you know, make them go, Oh my God, you're right. Um, you know how you uh, can always tell a true psychic is you knock on the door and if they ask who is it, 
then you know to just walk away. <laughs> That's a dad joke. <laughs> hey, well, I am a dad, so I got I got millions of dad jokes. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, these are just a, a couple of the things that uh, put me on the path to winding up here, doing a doing a show, talking to people about paranormal and and bizarre and weird things and you know not every one of my show is a jaw-dropping oh my god it walked out in front of them or oh my god it reached out from underneath the bed and pulled me into the closet you know it, some of these things some of my shows um are just people that have had peripheral experiences of being around this type of stuff you know they've they've had the you know like with my ufo thing um i didn't see a craft I just saw it, it got brighter than daylight in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, it was obviously coming. Something was above us that was lighting everything up. I didn't see the craft though. So I can't say I saw a UFO. I didn't, but I feel like I saw, I, I was a, a witness to the peripheral effects of something being there. And, you know, I've talked to several people that have had, um, got awful growls or, or ridiculously fast sounding moving things in the woods around them. And they never saw anything, but that I don't think that is any less legitimate of a story to have on an episode. Yeah. Because when somebody, because when somebody hears that, you know, I mean, not all Bigfoot experiences are a Bigfoot walking out in front of you. Yeah. I was going to say, and plus at, at the root of it too, um, like anything's going to try to hide itself from another species that it doesn't want to be seen by. So like, I feel like it's more probable to hear the stories about Bigfoot's making noise around somebody rather than them just straight up standing in front of somebody and showing themselves, you know, because rationally speaking, if you were the opposite in that same situation, you wouldn't want to be seen either. Yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had a woman on the show, she talked about being up in the, uh, um, the UP of Michigan along the, the beaches, uh, around the pictured rocks area, I think it was, and her and her family were hiking, uh, going up to an outlook on, on one of the cliffs and they heard in the, uh, in the bushes, something that she said, the only thing that is ever, she has ever heard that was similar to that would be that of, a the, the growl of, a, a an alligator. There's no alligators in, in the UP of Michigan. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, that's a very distinctive sound. If you've ever heard one, it's a very distinctive sound. Um, you know, and then it wasn't maybe a month later. I think I was listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. And, uh, you know, this guy's telling about his experience. And I don't know where it was. It had nothing to do with the state of Michigan or anything. And, uh and he said, the only thing I can ever like really relate the, the, the growl that I heard was, uh, when I was down in Florida and I heard, uh, you know, the alligators at this, uh, um, you know, where they, they wrestle alligators and stuff. And, and I was like, holy shit, there's, there's the second time I've heard that now that that growl was the low, um, vibrational sound of, of you know, some, some beast low to the ground, you know, underneath the bushes. Um, but it sounded like an alligator. That's insane. There's no alligators in Michigan. (laughs) Yeah. We only have like a handful of like reptiles and none of them are like lizard types. Like we have like snakes, turtles, shit like that, you know? (laughs) So, you know, 
just those kind of one-off conversations is, is like it starts to it starts to compile in those little files in the back of my head it's like okay so you know <laughs> what do you do with it i don't know but i'm i'm hanging on to it because i guarantee you at some point i'm going to hear somebody else from some other part of the the us talk about an experience that they thought they had a bigfoot and they're going to say something like it sounded like a gator you know? It's that connecting dots. It's like the spiritual yeah. type mind. It's definitely like a, its own specific mindset where even if you're like government conspiracies, cryptids, anything like that, you're just, your brain works a certain way where you like retain information and all of a sudden it pops back to the forefront and then you start connecting dots on stuff. And just having that one little piece of information could connect 20 different things that are in the back of your head. Absolutely. And with every week that goes by with every show that I do, there is a um, it's not a common thread but there are, there are these tendrils that come out of one episode and weave their way around one or two more, but then to go straight back into the next episode that I do. And there's a, there's a correlation between them and it's, you know, I, this word's getting overused and I, and I hate saying it because um, it's so overused, but coincidences, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Synchronicities, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like I said, I hate the word because it's so overused, but that's the only word I can think of. There's, there's so many things that are, are common, uh, a common thread that runs through all these different experiences. And it's just. Wouldn't it be crazy if it ends up being one single like trickster type entity that just does the form of all these different things just to be a trickster entity, you know, that'd be some, a weird turn of events, you know? It would be, it would be, and honestly, I have to say, I, I hope it's not. Um, I mean, that's I still onto something it, though, because it's yeah. still an entity of some sort. So we're still not totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope, I hope it is a bunch of different things. Uh, I think that just makes it that much more wonderful of a, uh, of a place that we live. You know, it's and it gives you different lights and different intentions for certain beings, too, because it's like theoretically, even if they perceive to be different things, they would all kind of have the same agenda. But if there are multiple races, multiple beings, all those different things, it kind of gives you like a glimmer of hope that like some can be good, some can be bad, some can be this, some can be that, you know. Well, I'm a firm believer if, if there's good, there's got to be bad. There's always got to be into a yang. There's always got to be yeah. a black to a white and, you know, um, Law of duality. So, so, yeah. So the, without a doubt, there's, there are both sides. Um, and I think both sides can interact with us. And that's, that's a scary thing at times. I, you know, I, I indicated I grew up Catholic, um, not practicing. I fell away from conventional religion. Um, uh, too much of a business, too much of a money making. You know, when you see a pastor walk out in a three thousand dollar silk suit, or you know, somebody refuses to marry you at your church that you've gone to your whole life because they don't have any um, enough records of you tithing to the church. You know, it, it all becomes a money thing. So, you know, I, I lose interest in that really quick, but uh, I do carry with me a, uh, a pretty stout spiritual armor. Uh, you know, I don't delve into, I'll talk to people that do things that are 
on the darker side of stuff. Um, I always make sure that if I do a show like that, I make sure that I'm indicating to my listeners that I'm not encouraging them to, uh, to go down that path. Uh, it's just a conversation so that you can get a perspective from, from a different viewpoint. Um, but I think that my spiritual armor is, is stout enough to, uh, um, provide me with some, uh, some good defenses, I guess I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I would say I usually take the precaution too, that if I do a darker episode again, not that I promote anything like that, but, uh, I always like smudge the house and do different things like that too. It's like my, uh, way of protecting things. I know there's some other podcasters, uh, shout out to ghost from my third eye. I know he does the same thing when he has episodes that he's kind of wary about too. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's an interesting thing that you bring up and, you know, we'll have to wrap it up here cause I got an early morning tomorrow, but, um, you know, like the smudging and, and stuff like that. I think, so what, whatever religion you grew up with, whatever, whatever beliefs you grew up with, wherever you are in the world, whatever, whatever you're, you've been taught, whatever you grew up with, whatever you inherited as a spiritual thing from your, your parents. Um, it's all in belief. You know, like smudging is a. Um, it's 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 almost like about like uh like intention behind it that it's like if you believe something's gonna work, then it's gonna work because you have the intention of protecting yourself. It's almost yeah. like a placebo effect to make it so that you can mentally protect yourself. If that makes sense. Right. Exactly. You know. So if somebody, if somebody who doesn't have any kind of experience with, um being in a culture that uses smudging as a, as a way to cleanse a house and you just walk into your local, uh, witch store and, and buy yourself, uh, uh, a roll of, uh, smudging material. And then you take it home and you light it up and you just walk around and you do this. And that's going to do nothing because you have no belief behind it. You have no faith behind, you know, it is, it's all about intent and it's all about intention. It's all about belief and what you've, you've been taught to be your truths. So whether it's true or not, at least you have that belief behind it and that's powering the action of what you're doing. So, you know, it's kind of like too, like when people uh, are in a demonic situation, so to speak, and they like shout out the name of like Jesus Christ, if they don't, believe what the words they're saying are it's it's not going to do anything you know? exactly. exactly but if you believe with full intent even if you're shouting like your grandma's name you know like yeah. it, it, it's that's what's going to have the effect it's all about like your mental intentions and what you're projecting outward exactly. as like an energy force to protect yourself yeah yeah so yeah, this is this is some crazy stuff that we talk about you know you you hear some things that just kind of put you on your ear and be like wow what you know what in the world um say so your encounters were definitely they had me at the edge of my seat like i didn't even want to interrupt or interject to even ask <laughs> questions during those i was just so into the story <laughs> yeah they're uh they're odd ones um you know but the thing of it is is um there for a long time, I would say like on my show, it's like, you know, I would allude to having had certain situations happen. And it's like, man, if I ever, 
if I, if I ever sat down and just did a show of everything that I've had happen in my life, you people would think I was crazy as a loon, man. You know, <laughs> you and me both, man. <laughs> so, you know, when I, when I did the episode with Tony on the confessionals, um, I, I let it, I let it loose. You know, we did the, the members only, uh, episode and I talked about all of it and, you know, thankfully there's been a favorable review and then people have come to my show, uh, after, after hearing that and have been leaving a lot of really good reviews and you sent in a lot of positive, uh, messages my way about the show. Um, but yeah, it was, I got done, I got done doing that show and then you know after we hung up i was like oh my god i can't believe i did that <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that i just let all of it out of the bag um but i'm okay with it i say it might help somebody out though because at the at the root of it no matter what way you look at it somebody may hear that story and it may give them closure or make them not feel so alone. So just off of that aspect, that's why like I try to be very open as like a podcaster and telling my stories is because it may, you know, a hundred people may think it's bullshit, but then you have one person that's had the same experiences and now they don't feel so alone in the world. And that one single person makes it all worth it. Yep. Yep. It does. Um, I've gotten that from coaching high school football uh, middle school football, you know, I mean, you, if you can reach that one kid, you know, even if they don't grow up to be a, a fantastic football player, if you broke through at some level and, and found you gave a kid confidence or, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth every bit. So, and I feel the same way about doing the show. So. Well, I guess uh, that was kind of like words of wisdom in a sense too, but I always like to still do it as like a segment at the end of the show because uh, I know I don't want to keep you too, too long because you have to get up early. So uh, if there are some words of wisdom, you know, besides, I guess, what we've already kind of been talking about that you'd <laughs> like to bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Well, you know, this world has gotten to be so, um, people have gotten to be so judgmental and we, we seem to be so at each other. Uh, over everything, you know, um, I guess if there's one thing I'd just ask is, man, just stay open, stay positive and, you know, stay alive, man. Just, just keep living and, and help people when you can, um, take help when you need it. Just be open, you know, be open to things around you, be open to new ideas um, cause that's how you truly just, experience life. It is. I, I believe that. And you know, that's, that's a, that's a pretty monumental statement coming from me because I didn't, I didn't used to be that guy. Um, I was very, uh, very grounded in, in my, um, in my beliefs and, and I didn't, I didn't waver, you know, it's like nothing anybody says is going to change my mind about anything. Um, and now I've, I've found myself to be a lot more open to, just, man, life is good. You know, mm-hmm. it is, you know, when you got things in your life that are, are positive, you know, if you don't have, if you have people around you that are sucking the energy out of you, I call them energy suckers, you know, if being around certain people just drains you and, you know, makes you feel bad, be done with it, man. Just move on. Find, keep looking until you find the right people, you know? 
Just oh, find yeah. that positive, find the positive in life and, and enjoy the time we have here because in the big picture, man, that our lives are so short and it goes so fast, you know, just, you know, I think, I think the big thing for me is, you know, having had kids, um, those, those years from the day they're born till you're watching them walk across the stage, graduating from college, man, it's a blink of the eye, you know, and then you wake up and, and you're not 21 years old anymore. You're 57 and you're looking back at life and you're like, holy shit, where did it go? You know, and I can remember my parents saying that, but as a, as a young kid, you know, time moves differently for us when we're young, you know, we're going to be young forever. And uh, you wake up one day and, and you're not anymore. And I'm in that boat now where my daughter is about to turn seven and my son's going on eight months and it feels like all of it was just yesterday. And it's like, all this time has passed by yeah. so fast. And because of it, and because of like my son being around now, um, one thing that I've learned in life that I wish I would have learned when my daughter was younger is I work strictly 40 hours. I won't give any extra time into my work because I know that they're never going to do anything for me because I'd rather be the extra 20 bucks that I get for staying an hour at work and doing some extra bullshit is an extra hour I have away from my child's childhood. So just realizations that I hope maybe somebody will hear that and they'll start looking at it that way. And maybe it can help them live in the moment more, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really easy to get caught up in the, in the rat race. And, you know, if I just, if I work a little bit harder, I'll get that extra raise. Or if I stay a couple hours later, I can afford that, uh, that video game. Or if I stay a couple hours later, I can afford to take the family out for dinner. Um, well, you know what, go to the store, buy some stuff and make a meal. Have your, yeah, have think your about what you're home. losing and compromising yeah. by spending that extra time just to be able to yeah. do that one little event, you know? Yep. So just stay open, stay open to everything, man. It's, it's a, it's a wild world out there and there's a lot of really interesting things going on. Just stay open. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I guess uh, for anybody that enjoyed the conversation, uh, they want to come find you. Also, I like to recommend to people go and check out your episode on confessionals and in a tune to that, check out episode five of your show, of course, Yeah. <laughs> as long as, you know, checking out the rest of the show too. But uh, any, any other links, any other places people could find you, like where can they come find you at? Uh, actually I'm on all the different platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, um, overcast, cast box, cast this, cast that I'm on, <laughs> I'm on all of them. Um, we're, uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, uncomfortable podcast 65, I believe it is, um, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. I have not much of a presence. All it does is put out a, a notification when a new episode drops, we drop new episodes every Tuesday, 10 AM Eastern. Um, just having a ball doing it, man. Uh, talking to interesting people, talking to people that have things to say that they didn't even realize were, were significant. You know, you get into conversations with some of these people and that's the thing about like the, the free roaming conversation, like what this is, um, that's, that's very similar to my show. Um, you get to talking and then all of a sudden there's this, Oh, well, I guess that, you know, there was this one time where, and then it goes into something that these people had completely forgotten about. And it wasn't until we had a conversation that they were like, holy crap, I forgot this happened, you know? So, so you really just, get to know your guests too, in that manner. 
because you, you never do. know where the direction is going to go. So you can kind of just have that organic flow and actually truly get to know each other. Yeah. And after the, after the recording has stopped and, you know, you say your thank yous and, uh, and, uh, get ready to part ways with your guest. I mean, there's nothing better than having somebody say, you know what, man, I really enjoyed talking to you. It was really a, it was really a great conversation and I, and I appreciate you having me on. There's no, no better feeling for a podcaster to, uh, have the validation of, of knowing that you treated your guest right. And, uh, I love it. Yeah, me too. Honestly, it's like you don't want to say goodbye to your guests, but it's like it's it's nice to know that you made an impression and at least gave them a good couple hours or a good conversation. Because yeah. you know, it, as a host, you owe that guest the best that you can give them. You owe them the best experience that you can give them because you're highlighting them. You know, so I don't know. So speaking of that, I also appreciate you being the guest and coming on the show today. And I also had a wonderful <laughs> conversation letting it go back the other way. I appreciate you having me on. It was, uh, it was good to hear from you when you reached out to me. And uh, I was super excited to do this. Too bad we had a little bit of a technical issue there for a while. I was, I was starting to get kind of scared that <laughs> your internet wasn't going to come back up, but I'm glad it did. And, yeah, uh, me too. It kicked on at the right time. I was like, I don't want to give up. I really want to do this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like uh, in the before we started recording, you know, we talked about several things. Definitely keep me in mind with them and uh, keep up with me. Get me the information and um, had a, had a blast, man. Hope your hope your listeners enjoyed it. And if you did, head over to Uncomfortable Podcast. It's uh, there's a lot of uncomfortables out there, so. Um, the best thing you can do is whatever, whether it's on Apple or Spotify, just put in uncomfortable in your search and then follow it with the name Eric, E-R-I-C-K, and it'll bring it up. It's a black and white logo. It's got a lowercase U and an uppercase N with comfortable underneath it. So It'll also be on the uh, episode art, too, if anybody wants to know what to look for. And I'll, of course, add all the descriptions down in the bottom if anybody wants to try to find it quick and easy. Oh, hey, one more time. Uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but if it airs before September 10th, I am hosting Bigfoot and Brews in Dewajak, Michigan. That's down in the southwest corner of Michigan. It's going to be held at Sister Lakes Brewing Company. It's a, it's a nice brewery down there. They got amazing food. They got great beer. It's the only place you can get the Dewey Lake Monster IPA. And we're going to have a Bigfoot conference there. Ron Moorhead is going to be our lead speaker. We're going to have Val Savala from your area around Detroit. Uh, James Lady, who is an investigator from the Detroit area. Gabe Heiss, uh, also from the Detroit area, will be there. And uh, we've got Bodine the Bigfoot. He's coming out of Ohio. Bodine is an interesting character. He's, uh, he's, he's a little bit shorter than I am. And uh, because he was so short, his, uh, his family pod kind of ostracized him. So he, he took off and decided to pick up with a couple of couple of humans over there in Ohio and now they just travel around and they chase kids around and photobomb <laughs> people and uh they, he walks around you know I mean he's a Bigfoot but he walks around in a pair of uh overall cutoff shorts and uh he's a lot he's a character man so he's gonna be there uh so you guys can take pictures with him and everything it's a family event I would suggest not bringing small infants because we're gonna have speakers when we don't want anybody to um be interrupting during the the uh, presentations, but it's family friendly. So, you know, if you got, uh, middle-aged kids that, uh, 
behave themselves and you know just we're gonna have vendors there um there should be a full 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 day of of big footery and good food and and good beer so what better just go to bigfootandbrews.com to get any information you need there's uh tickets for sale they're going fast it's a small venue so it's going to be on the intimate side uh, i'd suggest getting your tickets now tickets are 32 dollars, but if you yeah i'll do that if you decide you want to go check this out you can put in a promo code of um, s l b c 22 and that'll get you five dollars off a ticket well, there you many go. tickets you want to buy if you buy four tickets you get five bucks off each of your tickets um come on out hang out with us it's going to be a a best of uncomfortable because everybody there that's going to be a speaker it will have been a guest on my show and uh it's all based on uh the 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 legend of the dewey lake monster which happened back in 1964 in that very area the the brewery is only a couple of minutes away from the original sightings and it was uh, a summer full of sightings of uh, a Bigfoot creature there in Southwest Michigan. So um, come on out, see us. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, definitely. I said, I'll have to look into that for myself too. And uh, for all the listeners that are st- uh, still around, I hope you appreciate the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.